Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios in Morristown, New Jersey. This is the biggest panel we've ever had on a Morning Spotlight episode. Granted, it's one more than we normally have, but it's a great group. We're going to meet them. We're going to discuss what topic we're going to get into, uh, and then we'll get going. So first up, she is a business development executive at Build Pro Construction Services, Nicole Cruz. Nicole, welcome. Hi, how are you? Thank you um, for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Uh, next up, he's a repeat guest. He's an Air Force veteran, and he is a business development manager at BE Furniture, Brent Kozlowski. Brent, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Always, always good to have you on. Uh, next up, he is a marketing director at ENV Architects, Dan Grant. Dan, welcome. Hey. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And last but not least, he's a commercial real estate broker at Newmark Knight Frank, Trevor Patterson. Trevor, welcome. Thanks so much, Mike. Great to be here. Absolutely. All right. So just to give everybody that's listening to this episode a little bit of context before we get into the stuff that we're going to talk about, I want we're going to go around the horn and we're going to have each of you give like a 60-second snapshot on what your company does and what you do at that company. So 60 seconds. I got the timer here. I'm going to be timing you. Dan, we're going to start with you. Just get you out of the way right out of the gate. So go for it. Hey, everybody. So uh, my name is Dan. I work with ENV. We're a commercial architecture firm. We specialize in food service, residential, office environments, uh, you know, any sort of anything within the real estate market. Uh, we sort of handle helping to guide clients on their buildings and helping to guide them in just making sure that they can make the most informed decisions and get the most for their investments for the most part. Awesome. Well done. Uh, Nicole, you're up next. Hey guys, how are you? So I work for a company called Build Pro Construction Services, as well as Sativa Development. We're a full service real estate development company and construction company. We specialize in ground up construction, specifically multifamily mixed use and commercial. Awesome. Brent. Uh, Brent Kozlowski from Business Environments. I'm the business development manager there. We're a full-service office furniture dealer with a 10,000-square-foot showroom located in Persephone, New Jersey. We're MWBE certified. We're also New Jersey, New York State certified, which allows us to work with government entities. We also work within the private sector as well. We have about 200 strategic relationships to fit out of space. So we're here to essentially assist our customers with any commercial fit-out needs. Awesome. And wrap us up, Trevor. I'm uh, Trevor Patterson with Newmark Knight Frank. Uh, NKF is one of the largest commercial real estate firms in the world. We only do commercial. Um, I personally focus on both office and industrial product. And I've been doing this for about 20 years now. Awesome. That was great. Well done. Short and sweet. Now we're ready to go. So Trevor, we're going to start with you on, on our first question. So we're going to take like a kind of like a uh, high-level view at different uh, parts of the commercial real estate uh, world. Um, we're going to start with offices. Um, so give us some ideas on like what you're seeing in the uh, office industry right now. So we've seen uh, a lot of people trying to figure out what is happening. COVID has really upended everything. Um, we're in unforeseen times. Um, after the beginning of the shutdown started, people kind of hunkered down, held tight, waited for things to go. As it extended, the uncertainty of what's coming um, has really dominated the market. Um, people are looking to hold tight. Um, we're seeing a lot of people doing shorter term renewals versus typical uh, transactions and uh, waiting to see when this is going to end. When is a vaccine going to come out? When is a cure going to come out? Um, it's, a, it's just a lot of... Uh, 
uncertainty. I mean, I'm going to keep using the word uncertainty moving forward. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of like where, what, what kind of trends do you see us moving into? Obviously there is a lot of uncertainty, but kind of like, uh, give us some thoughts on where you see us moving as we progress here. Sure. Sure. So there's, there's been a lot of fluctuation with product type in the office market where people have been sitting and where people have been fitting things out. Um, those of you that do work in an office environment have probably seen over the last 15 to 20 years, the concept of opening up floor plans, lower cubicle partitions, open space, um, the, the, the lowering of private offices and really looking to have people collaborate face to face more and more and more. What we're seeing now, the first trend was people putting up plexiglass, you know, temporary fixes. How can people be in the office and have some level of separation? As we're now moving forward, we're seeing a trend going back to what I would call the 90s into the early 2000s, where you saw workstations with higher cubicle partitions, um, perimeter offices, people looking for more, more privacy as they worked. And now we're starting to see with the progression of, uh, of where COVID is, are people going to be working from home? Are people going to be transitioning between home and office? How much square footage does each person need? Um, are those workstations going to be more separated out? Are they going to have higher work, uh, uh, workstation walls? Um, are they going to have more private offices? Are they going to have private offices that are built out of furniture so they can have flexibility with raising, lowering, reconfiguring? Again, that, that level of uncertainty moving into the future between how many people are going to be working at home, how many people are going to be coming into the office, and how much space does each person need while they're in the office. Right. Uh, does that address the question you were asking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, Brent, uh, let's bring you in on this one because uh, Trevor was just talking about different aspects of what the office is going to look like. And obviously, you are someone that would help fit out that office with furniture and different things. So, uh, take us through some – I mean, I know you did an episode with us on the office uh, – um, the way the office is going to look already. Um, but just give us some stuff that you're seeing now, because that was a few weeks ago that we did that. Well, no worries at all. So basically, um, what Trevor said is true. Um, we're instead of doing 42 inch high panels, we're going 50 with a seven and a half inch glass stacker on top of that. We're seeing the six by five workstation extend to six by seven, which literally a customer last week walked in our space said, wow, you know, that extra foot actually makes a, dis a difference when you're distancing yourself from this time. So they're not dramatic changes um, to also touch upon the fact that, you know, we don't know how people are going to work in the future. Given the circumstances right now, you know, we could see people reducing their footprint in the workspace and having their staff work part-time at home, two days at home. So we're preparing the workspace, or workspace with touchdown stations, other areas that allow for you to pop in, set your laptop down, do some work and then jump out of there if need be. So, um, you know, we're going to see a modification towards more of the higher panels and, you know, at least potentially a smaller space to work out of because you can have staff that can work remote, you know, because of technology. Right. Yeah. From a development uh, standpoint, Nicole, what, what are some things that you're seeing? So our development projects that specifically focus on ground up office space, they were originally put on hold and they are moving forward. They weren't put on hold because the developers decided that they didn't want to develop the project. They were put on hold, as Trevor and Brent mentioned, whom you previously mentioned, the uncertainty of what's going to happen. We are seeing, you know, our developer clients, as well as us ourselves, 
start to work closely with the architect to make sure we're redesigning the space in a manner where kind of like the office I'm in now. So each person has an individual office space. There's not, you know, shared space amongst, you know, different colleagues, which is nice. So throughout the pandemic, I actually came to the office every day because I was naturally social and distant. I didn't have to share workspace with anyone. So on the development side, we are seeing, you know, our ground up development projects moving forward. But I think class A product for new development is going to be, you know, slowly decreasing. I don't know, Trevor, if you agree, but I don't see class A new development moving forward as dramatically as it used to. Agreed. Sweet. Uh, so Dan, from an architectural standpoint, since you do work at an architectural firm, so hopefully you can talk about it. Um, let's talk about how, like the implementation of some of these things uh, from an office standpoint. Absolutely. So obviously all the points that were just raised are you know spot on. When it's coming to put it all together and bring it into one contigu you know, contiguous space, the best way that you know to go about implementing it is to take a holistic approach and is what we always recommend to our clients is at the end of the day, yes, we have the virus right now, but we don't, you know, with that uncertainty, you're designing a space and it's not, we designed the space this year and it's done. And then you're going to redo it again next year. It's usually we're designing a space, you know, anywhere from five to 10 years. One of the sectors that we actually work in, I didn't mention as well is education. And from the education sector, we're starting to learn a lot of lessons as, you know, we start to see a 25% student ratio going back in, or we're seeing how teachers are, you know, adapting to this, the plexiglass walls going up, plexiglass desks, and just how that sort of flow is, uh, you know, working within the environment. So in, in touching on, you know, kind of everything that Trevor and Brent and Nicole said, what we want to do is still, you know, obviously at the discretion of the client themselves, but sort of meld it that it's still an open environment with a lot of modular furniture so that, you know, if this year, you know, okay, we need a higher panel wall, we need, you know, big dividers to keep everybody separated for the comfort of the staff, then that's what we'll do for now. But, you know, that we can remove those walls at a later time, open it back up, or transition the space to be adaptable. And the way that we do that is, what we'll actually do is we can put case working around the space. So, you know, you'll have your your cafe on the outer perimeter, you'll have, you know, maybe your station where you're going to grab your pencils, your pens, your paper on the other side and, and sort of keep that exterior perimeter and just keep the open floor plan very open, even sometimes more open so that, you know, we can put in whatever furniture or F, uh, FF &E we need to add in. To kind of touch on that, um, just to jump in, in regards to the development aspect, we are seeing, and I know we're not a multifamily, but with office space, you know, if we do have the first level of retail, we are seeing developers asking if we recommend as a construction company doing some office space incorporated into the multifamily properties because more people are working from home. And then on the development financial perspective, it needs to make sense as a developer. If you are developing office space, what exact office space are you developing? How can you, you know, make the most money for what you're developing? And I think Trevor can assist with touching base on that. So for the class B products where you have more of those mom and pop, you know, businesses, 
and they're eventually going to transition to going back into the office. It's figuring out, are they more productive at home? Who's more productive in the office? Can I make more money out of the space that I have now? Do I own this building? Am I leasing this building? So it's a lot of different, you know, areas to touch base on from a developer who's trying to make the most money with the product that they have. Right. And Nicole, just to touch on that, you, it's a good point is it's an individual scenario. You know, we all have general ideas as to what's going to happen in the future, but when you're working with an end user, it's case by case. You know, are you guys tightening down the bolts, going into survival mode, you know, till the next two years where business starts ramping back up or are you growing? You have a product out there that's really selling right now and you're going to be growing over time. So you really need to evaluate the scenario and the comfort level of management and their employees in implementing a game plan in response to COVID or the future of the office space dealing with COVID. And just to, just to add to that too, you know, from an, from an architectural perspective, when we go to design spaces, one of the first things when we walk in the door is we establish a program. And that program, you know, prior to COVID was as simple as, okay, you have this many staff, this is how many desks you need, this is how many touchdown stations you need, this is where, how many, you know, common spaces you need. And we would sort of program from there. What we're now able to do, and, and again, touching back from that, that educational side, which is what we do a, a lot um, with, you know, cross-pollinating sort of those theories. And that theory is, is actually getting to understand all of the staff that's in the building. So, you know, we're able to sort of do more than just, you know, say, okay, you can have this many desks, let's put them here. Instead, we say, all right, what is your staff makeup? And we'll sit down with you and say, all right, so you have this many salespeople, this is your sales department. Your sales department is here, your research department is here, and your operations department is, is you know, over here. And how are they melding? How are they doing working from home? And we can do, you know, everything from room data sheets and area data sheets as to, you know, okay, how often is this person going to have to go from this side of the building to this side of the building? And just kind of taking that more holistic approach is, allows for a to figure out who's being more productive working from home and if we still need that space and b who we can kind of move around or shift around to either create a smaller space or just to help with again a lot of what we've heard a million times which are these circulation patterns and creating that that roundabout theory that you're not passing people every two minutes i'd like to just kind of tie all of this together because everybody's points are, are are basically right on and as that all coincides with people leasing space, you know, the, that figuring out what are we going to do? How much square footage do we need? Is it going to be 10 people or 10% of the workforce is going to be flipping back and forth to remote being in the office? Is it going to be 30%? I just read an article yesterday that uh, some, uh, I think it's the law firm industry specifically, said that up to 45 to 50% of their staff might be in rotation. And one of the big things that we're seeing now is groups that would typically be doing a five, seven, 10 year lease term are wanting to figure it out. Let's do a six month, let's do a 12 month, let's do an 18 month extension if the landlords will work with us on doing that. So we can determine what exactly we're gonna to need to do moving forward because this isn't gonna be forever. Yeah. And you know, how much is our work gonna permanently change you know, then uh, I forget who said it before, but we don't, we don't wanna build out a space and spend, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks a square foot building something out, and then 18 months later have to redo it all. Right. Case yeah, right. scenario, dealing with the customer. They call you in 18 months, they say, hey, uh, what now? You know, oh, you're gonna have to spend X amount of dollars to go back. 
you know, so temporary solutions. And that's, yeah, and just, you know, free-flowing design. And, and I, I, you know, an, another instance of that is, you know, when it comes to, we were designing a lot of these collaborative spaces where, all right, I'm going to sit with my coworkers in this collaborative space, then I'm going to get up and somebody else is going to sit there. Again, we, we still want to put those into designs, absolutely, because we're not going to get rid of the collaborative sense. And I, I think actually this virtual environment actually brought it together that, you know, as you're interacting in a small group, in a virtual environment day after day after day, it actually promoted that, you know, okay, you know, I used to kind of stay to the side and do my own thing and then just come in when I need it. And now you were kind of forced into that. But obviously we're not gonna go back to the office and step right into a, you know, a nice little pod and sit within two feet of each other. But we need to still have that space that, you know, three, four years down the line, you could, turn to Brent and say, hey, I, you know, I want to change out this piece of furniture. I know right now it's just dividing walls. Can we put in, you know, collaborative work area again? So it's, it's having that flexibility and, and yeah, temporary solutions, of course. I think, I think just to bring it all together, and I don't think it's something we touched on here, but I know Brent and I have touched on this as I recently visited Brent's beautiful showroom. Um, her office space, I do think that developers as well as own company owners are going to start looking into having a space that they're able to make more family oriented. So that's something that Brent's office had where they had a nursery daycare kind of room in that office. Because one thing we're seeing in office space, as we all know, for a lot of the parents who have children, they had to work from home. It's difficult to work from home and get things done as you have toddlers or you're having to do, you know, at home teaching for your children. And then when you do come to work, you obviously can't on many different companies bring your children to work. So what do you do? You know, you have work at home and then you have a life that you need to collaborate between. So I think that as an architect, and I don't know if you're seeing it, Deanne, where you're creating more nurseries as well in the office spaces moving to the future because it just helps create a more life work living environment for your employee. So, so yeah, and, and I'll tie right into that. Not necessarily have we seen, you know, implementing a nursery. It's very unique. I've actually seen Brent's showroom as well with that. With that, it's an amazing, amazing amenity. But you, you touch on a really... Huh? Everybody you, should come out. <laughs> touch on a really, really important point. And that important point is, and you'll drive up and down the highway, and I, I always laugh when I pass, there's a a large landlord that has a sign that basically says, hey, it's time to put your pants back on and or you're going to have to go to the office, but guess what? You're going to have to put pants on in order to go back into the office. I refuse. Now that, huh? <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> Anyone but, that puts, a pant, puts pants on right now is a sucker, I think. So, you know, it's it's sort of that that guerrilla marketing technique that, you know, is going to a help to sort of, you know, poke and prod at this. But the realisticness is, Prior to COVID, we were starting to put, you know, in buildings, hey, you know what, let's throw a, you know, we, we have a, this beautiful open green space. Let's put a volleyball court. Let's put a driving range type facility. Let's put in a golf simulator. You know, let's put in these things that are going to entice you to stay in the building. <coughs> and, you know, at the beginning, we were saying, okay, well, those are going to go out the window. There's no way everybody's going to want to go in and get home as fast as possible because we don't want to contract this virus. Stepping forward, you know, obviously, there is a, a lot of light towards that, but what we're gonna need to do in order to convince people to go back into the office and, and what we're starting to see the trend of is, 
All right. Obviously, we're designing these buildings for LEED standard, which means you're getting a lot more daylighting and you're trying to optimize and use glass to bring in light and keep the, the room at a nice natural temperature. But above and beyond that, we're really going to have to say, all right, what do you have at home that makes you love being at home? And how can we match that in an office environment even more so now? Because, you know, you're, you enjoy the fact that, hey, you know what, for my lunch, I'm gonna go sit on my back deck, eat my sandwich and listen to the birds and then come back inside. Oh, you know what, I can bring my laptop outside and I can finish this email chain out here. I can finish this project out here and then I'll go back. So do you see where I am right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have yeah. logs, Dan, we need logs. You know, in the office. And logs, yeah. lots of logs. Lots of logs, yeah. <laughs> Dan, with, with that being said really briefly, with the materials, right, from the construction end, when the architectural firm that you're working with is designing these, you know, different ways to create an office space, it's important, at least for our company, that we're able to help value engineer the project because it can be great to incorporate glass because you want light and different, you know, environmental sustainable solutions, you know, for energy and different things. But then on the developer standpoint, it needs to financially make sense too. So, okay, let's add a nursery. How many square feet is that going to take? Let's add a volleyball court. How much rent are we bringing in from the gym? So, you know, for example, my office is in Saddlebrook. We'll be briefly, quickly moving to Jersey City, but we have CBRE's office not too far away. And they have a gym, a spa, they have a lot of different amenities in their office building. Obviously, because of COVID, they couldn't have any, you know, rent being generated from those spaces. So on the developer construction end, we need to make sure we're keeping costs low for our developers so it can financially make sense for them. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what's, what's going to happen moving forward because over the last few years, three words that have been really, really pushed is live, work, play. And you know, that it, it started out geared more towards the, you know, the, the millennial generation. Sorry, Nicole. Um, where it's, you know, our, also and, a millennial. And also Mike. Millennial. <laughs> I'm an old one, I'm an old one. <laughs> where uh, is it, yeah, you guys are on the atypical side, but you, know, you, hear, you hear the jokes, am I, am I gonna come in at 10 and work until seven? Am I gonna come in at noon and work until eight? Am I gonna work, come in at seven and work until three or four? And so it's, you know, when can we come in? and try to make that as flexible as possible. Are you gonna eat breakfast? Are you gonna eat lunch? Are you gonna eat dinner? Are you gonna go work out? Do you wanna go play volleyball or basketball after work? Do you wanna be close to a movie theater or maybe even have a movie theater in the office? You know, how, how is all of that going to accommodate all of those tenants? And right now, it, you know, even down to the game room, you know, th things are all put on pause. There's, there's yellow tape, doors are closed. You know, get in the office, do your work, and get home is is now what's happening for the people that are going to the office. Right. Yep. And and just just to add to that too, you know, and that's what I was saying. You know, some of those volleyball areas and and sort of in some of those very high touch point areas like a game room. But you know, changing that into some more simplistic things. You know, we look at these office buildings. Obviously, you have a you have a building which is a box, and hopefully your office you know has at least a 180 degree viewpoint. It's, you know, looking at, okay, how do we move these desks so that they're closer to a window so that, you know, you're getting fresh air into your environment because that's the biggest key to this virus is how do we get fresh air into the environment? 
And so that's also going to provide you that, oh, you know what? I can see a tree. I feel better that, you know, like I can see nature. I feel like I'm outside, but I'm in my office building. So it's kind of simple stuff like that. And just providing that, you know, okay, we had that volleyball court out there, which was on a beach surface area. Hey, why don't we put like a couple beach chairs out there or a couple, you know, fun tables to make it, you know, an inviting environment that I can grab my laptop, walk out of my office building and go sit down there. Still distance, but sit down there and enjoy the outside for a little bit. Right. Um, I have a question and I don't know who can answer this best, but someone was talking about how like some of these quick fixes that would uh, make the office, you know, safer or whatever right now um, may not carry over into the future once we kind of push through this. But wouldn't there be a benefit like now that we've seen something like this happen, which is something that we haven't seen happen since you know, whenever Spanish flu of like 1918, like, is it something where maybe a, a landlord or somebody that's developing, developing one of these office spaces says, Hey, like my office setup, I'm going to set it up so that it's a pandemic proof office. You know, like we're never going back to the bench seating and everybody on top of each other or whatever. So wouldn't there be some kind of benefit from doing something like that? I think but it's based on individual need. I mean, we deal yeah. with COVID response solutions with a lot of our end users Everything we have is temporary, but if you take those acrylic shields down, say COVID subsides, you find a cure for it, we're good. Um, 10 years down the road, you don't know. You could take those acrylic shields, put them in the closet, something happens, the air purifier systems we put into place, the signage, and you can pull them back out if needed. Or if you're looking for more of a permanent solution, yeah, you can go hire cubicles and maintain the safety distances and everything else. But it's gonna be case by case is what I'm seeing. And then to add, oh, no, go ahead, Nicole. Um, I think there's, this is even bigger than COVID, if I'm completely honest. I think this is moving forward to the future of dealing with who your employees are going to be as your company decides to grow. So I think it's two things. I think it's productivity and I think it's preference. I think now as a business owner, when you're looking to hire an employee who's coming into the industry, do they want to sit in a cramped you know, COVID's obviously important, but think about you're getting an employee. Do they want to sit in a cramped space in the 21st century where there's, you know, 15 other people? It's not like you're in a call center. If we're talking about real estate, for example, and we're all, you know, out on the field or in the office, you want to be comfortable. You want to feel as though you can express yourself. You want it to be convenient. You want a live, work, play environment. And you can get that and look at a company you're going to. And that could be an employee breaker. As an employee, you can say, I'm going to choose this company over this company based on their community and how they have the setup of their office. So I think it's even bigger than COVID. Developers and owners have to start looking at themselves and saying, what type of environment and space do I want to give to my employee? And how long do I want that employee to stay with me? Because if your employees are happy with where they're at, they're going to stay with you. So I think that's another aspect. Dan, sorry, I know I cut you off. No, you're ahead, fine. He's, no, got, so he's got people off already, so it's all good. <laughs> hey! <laughs> this is how we do it, baby. Yeah, you know, just everybody talking over each other. It's just chaos. This show is chaos. <laughs> well, go ahead, Dan. I'm just kidding. No. So, so Mike, you, you bring up a really good point. And the point, you know, obviously from a furniture perspective, you know, for Brent, I'm sure you're walking into a space. The building has been there since 1970, 1960. We look at most of the, you know, office assets in New Jersey. They're all from around that time, a little bit later, some newer assets. 
to you, Brent, because I know when we went to go see your office space and your showroom, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't even remember the name of the product you had, but it was that removable sliding door product where let's say you didn't want it there and you needed to move your office space, it easily moved to another office space. And you're not making permanent construction changes. It's actually interchangeable based on what you need at that moment. You're talking about demountable glass walls. So essentially they're not a part of the building. They're a tax write-off for the customer. And on top of that, if you want to reconfigure, it's easily done with the setup that we have because nothing is drilled into the ground, ceiling, basically can pull it down. It's pressure fit into the space. So, you know, companies are looking in that direction now saying we're going to modify, we're going to create, you know, out of these larger private offices, some smaller ones and put more people in there by themselves. So you don't have two people in a room giving you that comfort overall and the safety aspect of it as well. And with, with the comfort and safety, you know, we've been talking about, you know, Dan, you brought up the, you know, multiple uses for a hallway. Um, some things that I've seen while, I, while I've been working with tenants is taking a conference room and rather than looking at doing a typical conference room table, you do ganging tables where you can have a conference room set up. You can have it set up as a classroom. You can break everything apart um, if you wanted to do an, an event. And, you know, and, you know, and then bring it into the technology sector where you know, pre-COVID, we might be doing this, this podcast in person. You know, Mike sits on one on one side with his microphone and asks us the questions, and the four of us sit on the other side and you know, and, and and talk amongst ourselves face to face. Right. Well, at, at 200 square feet per person in an office, we're talking about a thousand square feet right now. You know, how's that thousand square feet going to be used? What's that thousand square feet cost? Versus now we're all sitting, you know, in our homes or in an office building, taking up minimal square footage or no square footage in that office space that our employer is paying for. Anybody else? We're going we're gonna to move on to multifamily next, but anybody else want to jump in? Last couple points on office? No? Cool. All right. We're going to do, 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 do multifamily now because Dan brought it up. I uh, talked about my apartment. Um, you know, well, now we're just going to go for it. Um, so we'll start with Trevor because you're like our trends guy. You're our market guy. So give us an idea of what is happening in the multifamily industry right now. I have absolutely no idea. Sweet. All right. <laughs> Perfect. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do anything residential. Okay, cool. So, uh, Nicole, you do a lot of multifamily stuff, so let's, let's, let's hear it. So, multifamily, we're seeing, is not going to be as aggressive in cities. Um, Pre-COVID, so I know something we spoke about pre-COVID and then post-COVID. Pre-COVID in areas, urban areas specifically, such as Hudson County, Weehawken, Fort Lee, Jersey City, you know, these urban areas, we saw a tremendous amount of new ground up development happening. I mean, hundreds of units going through approvals and these spaces really getting, you know, tense with new apartments that now cannot be leased. Uh, you know, agents are having a hard time, as well as developers having a hard time getting individuals and tenants into these apartments. They're offering you know, two to three months free rent. They're offering a decrease in how much you have to pay a month. They're taking huge hits, which on a financial side for a developer isn't the greatest. And you have to do this because you're being, have to be competitive with all the other apartments that are also in the area that are, you know, doing price drops. So from a financial perspective, you built this building because you thought you were going to make a certain amount and now you're seeing changes. 
Um, we're also seeing more developers go into suburban markets. So there's a change in what market they're going into. They're going into underdeveloped areas where they can be named a redeveloper, potentially get you know some type of tax abatement or pilot in place. They can get more land. They can get more density. They're not going to have as much of a pushback. It's going to be easier to get approval. So the suburban areas are where the developers are looking to go, kind of off the beaten path. Um, you know, we're also seeing people avoid crowded spaces. Now, what do the tenants want? They want balconies. They want bigger private outdoor spaces. They want balconies that they can, you know, hang out, whatever it must be, because you can also social distance. Right. They're looking for, um, you know, one bedrooms with a den. Because if they're working from home, they don't want to be stuck in their bedroom, kitchen, living room, whatever it may be. They want to be able to get out of that area and have a den or just a separate space, however big it may be, where they can do some work in it. And then we're also seeing a lot of developers push more towards, you know, having different amenities in the building. Granted, they have to weigh out the amenities being that with COVID, a lot of the amenities weren't able to be open. But long term, they would like more community spaces and amenities. And then on the construction end, we have seen a month, two months ago, about a 200% increase on lumber prices. So whew, straight up, uh, up there, reason being, you know, imports and exports, obviously, high demand, um, what happened with toilet paper, right? Everyone wanted toilet paper and you couldn't find toilet paper. $50 so, Yeah. <laughs> with lumber prices, we saw that those really went up. They have decreased a bit now. So if you had projects slated to start for another year, we will see lumber prices drop, hopefully. But they did increase. So developers have put their projects on hold, not because they didn't want to finish it, but because, again, like Trevor had said, a lot of circumstances that they can't predict which is a lot more predictable if you're going into a non-urban area. If you're in these urban areas where it's crowded, you can't go anywhere without, you know, if you're in Jersey City, you're walking, there's a bunch of people, you know, they want different areas where they can go take their dog for a walk and not be around a bunch of people. Um, on the construction side as well, you know, we are seeing a lot of developers who pause their projects because they were hoping they could get better prices post-COVID, which isn't the case because a lot of subcontractors are being more demanding, you know, because people didn't move forward with COVID. Now everyone's looking to move forward that COVID, now that COVID's slowing down a little, and it's a time management aspect as well, right? Materials and equipment is having some delays. So I know- So I, I, have, a quite, I have a question right off of something you, you touched on a couple of times of projects being paused. With, with the flight that we're seeing from urban to suburban areas, and the amount of time that it takes. Like I've, I've done a number of projects uh, where I've had under contract for years at times to do multifamily. Are you seeing a, a lot of pause, not, not just necessarily pauses, but people coming and saying, you know, I, I wanna rethink, I wanna replan what I'm gonna be doing here. And somebody may have even gotten site plan approval, but looking to do a change in that site plan to, to accommodate what's been going on and what's anticipated. So we have a client who's in a redevelopment area right now, and they have full site plan approvals, and they were going to move forward with their CDs, which for 
you know, the viewers there are the construction documents. So after you get your approvals, you have to draft your construction documents. Once your construction documents are drafted, that's what you are building. You can't go back unless you really go back. You spend a lot of money and soft costs. So we're working really closely with the architects um, because we need to make sure we're redesigning the space to fit what we see happening in the future. We had, you know, 600, 700 square foot smaller units in this development where now we're considering with everything going on, a lot of our tenants are going to want to work from home. There's a train station right across the street. So if they're going to, you know, a job where they be in a class A office based building, most of the time they're working from home with everything going on. So we don't think we'll be able to lease the units unless we make them bigger especially for what we're asking. So we are seeing redesigning happening. We are seeing, you know, some developers flip their projects, meaning they went for approvals instead of moving forward, they're going to sell it and they're going to go into a suburban market um, or they're looking for a JV partner. So I think developers are really trying to one, analyze construction costs, which we're doing a lot with our clients. But again, construction costs can vary if you're in your budgetary stage, it's going to be different than once you finish CD. So the one main, you know, industry individual we're working with is the architect of to make sure we can keep the cost down. We're analyzing trends with market to make sure the apartments are, you know, appropriate and we can lease them because we want to lease them. If you have apartments with high vacancies, it doesn't make sense to develop it. And we've developed the developers who are doing ground up are completely different than the developers that are purchasing existing. Because if you're doing a ground up, that's an individual who really tries making sure they're creating a model that's going to last and be sustainable. Because if you're purchasing an existing project, you're taking on the whatever, you know, apartments were already there, you might have to do some, you know, renovations or fixing. If you're doing ground up, you want to make it right the first time. I don't know, Dan, you want to bounce off of Yeah, that. I was just going to say, you know, one of the big, big things that I, I, I think you kind of mentioned, but I just wanted to elaborate on is prior to this in office buildings, in residential, in just about everywhere, restaurants, food service, rooftops. You know, we saw this trend start in New York City when obviously you ran out of space on the lower level of uh, the uh, Manhattan skyline. And you said, all right, you know, why don't we hoist people up and let's start doing stuff on a rooftop. And that then pushed out of the, you know, New York City market, pushed into New Jersey. It started doing, you know, Jersey City, Hoboken, rooftop establishments. Now it's pushed all the way out to suburban markets where, you know, I think right now in Morristown, they're still projecting to do a rooftop uh, concept on a restaurant. And most of these amenity spaces for residential pieces are you know, adding that rooftop. And that I think is going to be a pivotal point to include those green spaces, those, those rooftop areas, those, those communal spaces that you can go out to a courtyard. And, you know, again, if you, I live, I live in a house, I used to live in an apartment when I lived in an apartment, you know, I, it was as simple as I would take my laptop and I could go sit out on the grass in front of my apartment, just as long as I wasn't inside. So if we can, you know, accommodate that in any way, you know, that, that'll sort of offset the, it doesn't really offset it, but it kind of offsets the fact that we're having to take more square footage, we're having to build a bigger space. But 
that being said, you know, from a development standpoint, you know, twofold, the one, one fold, when you're looking at a plot of land, you know, we actually have some projects that, you know, we'll take some pretty tight requirements where it'll be a small plot of land. We're going to go straight up with it. We're having to find solutions to put parking underground, above ground. There's no green space. Now they're located next to places where there are green space, but I think we're going to see that sort of diminish a little bit. And I think that that's going to push out a little bit. And now circling a little bit more to it all, I want to jump back to that live work play that Trevor mentioned. I think that that is, you know, it was a trend. It kind of was like, a, oh, what are we going to do now? Um, and I think that live work play is going to just, you know, meld itself into a, a new interesting format that's just a little more spaced out. And it'll kind of provide us an, an area where, again, you have a, an outdoor courtyard, you have that rooftop space, but you're, you're able to, you know, maybe go downstairs to an office that you can open your windows or, you know, there's, my, my favorite is when I go to these restaurants and they have the garage doors that open to provide a whole, you know, indoor space. There's a restaurant out here in Morris County. I know that, you know, they have the whole exterior garage doors. And I always joked, I said, as soon as they allowed outdoor dining, I don't know what the actual restrictions they had, but if they opened all their walls and all their garage doors, it was an open space. It was essentially a building with, you know, just a roof. Yeah. But when you're so, doing your work at a desk and then you go out and you try to get a, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you try to get a breath of fresh air, you want wide and open. So you want to yeah. be out away from people, but when you're working, you want to be in your own comfort area. Yeah, yeah. And of course we do have winter. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the question that a, a lot of people listening to this are going to say is, well, okay, that's cool. Right now it's nice outside and we've been in COVID when it's nice outside. What about winter? And, you know, when it comes to winter, it's that's where it becomes a challenge. And that's where, you know, even with the price of glass, it's where, you know, you start to look at glass and how do we make, bring more daylighting and how do we bring more natural, you know, you know, lighting in. And that's looking at a lot of different, you know, when building new buildings, where before, you know, of course we focus on everything when we're designing a building. You know, it's, it's not just, all right, we're going to face the road. You know, we, we look at where's the sun rising, where is the sun setting? And we look at if we orient the building this way and we're putting, you know, let's say the, the one bedroom apartments on this side of the building, the two bedrooms on this side, but chances are the two bedrooms are people that have families and families are up earlier than the people that have one bedrooms, you know, a lot of different parameters that you could think about and it's taking all of those that going back again to that holistic approach it's taking all of those factors and saying okay and sitting down with the key decision makers the key residents of that future building and saying you know what is your schedule what what is a day in your life like what what do you and of course it's going to change but and then making sure we orient the building in that way to allow and emit proper daylighting in especially when you're working from home. And, you know, Nicole also mentioned adding that office environment in, you know, one of the biggest things for, I want to say anti-stress is you cannot, you should not work in the same environment that you're sleeping in. And that means like, don't, you know, don't put your desk in your bedroom. It's going to lower your, you know, rate of productivity because you'll just be in the same room for many, many hours. And Dan, I want to I want to touch on something that you did, that you said a little bit uh, before about you know the restaurants with the open doors and the concept. I mean, we, there, there's no question. Your know, restaurants have been crushed 
in what's been going on. You know, 25% inside for New Jersey, yeah, outdoor seating limited. If you're indoors, you got to wear a mask and then sit down. But you mentioned winter coming up and what's going to happen with winter. Now, I have an entertainment area outside my house and I've been looking for a few weeks now for an outdoor heater. One of those, you know, big six, seven foot tall power heaters. Can't get them. All the rest, all the restaurants, all the bars, they are snapping those things up. Even even the, the cheap dinky ones just to have it so they can maximize their outdoor seating as the weather gets cold. Yep. You know, we're seeing tents going up. We're seeing the heaters going up. You know, it, it, it's everybody trying to accommodate as much as they can to, to, to not continue getting crushed. We're, we're seeing, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us know small business owners. And I, I have a, a number of friends that are in the food industry. And those that have been able to remain open are just getting by by the seat of their pants. Yeah. And I, I don't know many, many restaurateurs Unless that are doing really well. That's been doing takeout. Takeouts, takeouts. The, pizzerias, the pizzerias have been killing it. The yeah. actual, you know, rest, any, any place that you can do like pizza, that quick food, you know, those have been doing well. But, you know, I, and not to get you off drugs, I have a family friend that owns multiple restaurants in Red Bank. And at first they didn't think they'd be able to keep their restaurants open they said you know before it was 25 percent indoor capacity they said you know it doesn't even make sense to do indoor because of the overhead they said we're not doing that we have to hire our chefs we have to keep them here all day then we have to get servers how much do we have on staff you know all of our employees left and it's hard to get them back because they don't even know if they'll make good tips you know in the city um i read about it you know they increase prices for their food to make up for what they've lost but uh, I mean, to touch back on multifamily really quickly with the winter coming, it's going to be rough. Listen, I run right now and my gym in my apartment building didn't open until recently. So what's going to happen for those developers on the financial side who are they going to charge an amenity fee again? How are you going to charge a $500, $600 amenity fee like these developers normally charge? for their leases when your amenities are not open. And, and sorry, Dan. No, 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 go ahead. Um, and moving forward, we do want more community spaces in our buildings, not just with COVID. If you're looking long-term, individuals who are looking to rent want you know, movie theaters, they want game rooms, they want different common spaces, they want outdoor you know, dog parks, they want a pool, they want a community center, they want all of these things which are great. But with right now, with what's going on, it's deciding when are we gonna be able to transition into that. And, and I'll just add, you know, kind of tying both together again, you look at the residential, I mentioned the rooftops, I mentioned those sort of amenity spaces. And, you know, again, when you look in a five, 10 year plan, you're building this building from the ground up, you need to think about, okay, we still need to have these. You can't just say, oh, we're not doing that. Because then it could it could come back. We don't know, but it could come back to my team. Um, but tying that back to the restaurant model, um, again, I mentioned in the beginning that we do a lot of food service. And one of the interesting ones that started prior to COVID and that has just gone full throttle. Um, it, I don't know if you guys on the panel are all familiar with, um, they call them dark kitchens or ghost kitchens. 
basically what they are is, you know, you go on DoorDash, you go on whatever you're ordering from, or you just find a website of a restaurant and there's no front of house. It's all back of house. They'll take a, an industrial, you know, use case area. They'll fill it with, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10 kitchens. And they will allow entrepreneurial restaurateurs, you know, famous restaurateurs to go in there, create their food and have it be shipped out. The thing that I, I don't think has been touched on that much in, you know, cross relating that is you have a dark kitchen, you have a ghost kitchen. Okay. We don't want to go sit inside. Okay. Now it's the cold of winter. Where am I going to eat my food? I'm tired. You know, I, I've, I've eaten, I've sat in my, I've woken up in my apartment. I made myself breakfast. I've, uh, you know, worked in my home all day. I, I now I'm finished working. Now I want to have dinner. I don't really want to sit in my apartment anymore. And especially, you know, I was, I used to look, when you used to look forward to it, you know, I'm going to go out and have a drink. So I think one of the things in, in talking about those amenity spaces is, you know, I've seen, you know, we can name some of the big, the big names in residential uh, real estate and, or yeah, residential development. And you'll see, they make these, you know, sort of bar common space areas. And while right now those are high touch points, you know, having that community feel that, you know, you know, the, the residents in your building, you can have order your dinner from a dark kitchen. It's still allowing that, you know, these restaurateurs, these entrepreneurs, they get to have a little less overhead on, you know, the upfront cost of, I have to pay my rent. I have to pay my this, I have to do my this. And they still get to have that. And, and the one that I, I think is also an interesting point to that is, and I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of times, sometimes restaurants are able to license themselves that they can allow other entities to utilize their kitchen. It's not, you know, you're not going to go to whatever your favorite restaurant is in, you know, in New York City, and that's probably what they're doing. But, you know, commonly, we've seen it done with bakeries, we've seen it done with, um, you know, a lot of confectionery areas, and they will have other brands come in. So it's just really looking at everything from an innovative sense like that. And, uh, that's that's just one of the interesting things that we saw before COVID, and now we're going to see how it will cross mill. I think in the state of New Jersey, right, we have a unique situation where we're in the tri-state area. We're not too far from the city. If you're within an hour distance of the city, you're an attraction market, attractive market for a developer. Doesn't matter if you're in Hudson County or Essex and you know more of the urban areas, but if you're within an hour, even maybe an hour and a half driving distance, you're in an attractive area. So as a, a developer, I think the one thing we're going to be looking for, and the one person we don't have on this is a lawyer, um, because we have every aspect of it, is having the town and community support with new development because boy, if you do not have the town and community support or the planning board support, you're not getting anything done. And that's the hardest thing you face in the state of New Jersey for new ground up development is the support of the planning, zoning, community. You have just certain individuals in the community that come out and say, I don't want that rooftop amenity because it's going to make noise and it's catered towards, you know, younger, you know, individuals and, well, then guess what? You're going to have a difficulty passing that. But you needed that amenity space because that's what's going to help you bring the tenants into the building. So it's, it's 
going to be really important that we have individuals in the planning boards in the communities that really understand where we can educate so that they can understand why these different community spaces are important, especially as these developers move into the suburban markets rather than the urban. Because the urban, you do get a push in the urban, but not as much as a push because you have so many other comps in the area of different apartments. Now, when you're going to suburban markets, which are more desirable for a developer because you're getting one land at a cheaper price, which will help you, you know, have higher profits. Two, you're able to get bigger units because you have you know, larger land where, and it's cheaper. So if you're going on the construction perspective to Jersey City, per se, you're paying a lot for the land. You can't get as much density, meaning not as many apartments, and you have to go up. So the minute you go over four or five stories, you're going into steel, and now construction costs are going up. So financially, does it make sense to build? And what can you get there? So the pro to moving to suburban markets as a developer is that you can stay in that stick build or you know wood frame build. You can get bigger apartments and increase rents, but how long is it gonna take you to get approvals if you don't have a town that supports you? And a town that's gonna say, I understand why you need these amenities because of COVID and the way our you know markets moving forward and what we need to do to support individuals coming into this area specifically i'll give it a direct example our office in texas we can go into houston propose an idea and then next week pick up you know approvals and permits where new jersey you're going years potentially before you get approvals in you know these southern areas where we see a lot of developers moving to the southern market um you know like arizona um, we're seeing a lot of individuals in there. We're seeing Texas. We have an office in Houston. So different markets there, it's easier to develop and it's cheaper. So I, yeah, no. I, have, a, I have a question that's also going to tie us into a, another sector. I don't know if you're ready. Yeah. To this is the last question on multifamily because yeah. we have exhausted multifamily. So we're going to go into <laughs> no. detail next. I'm going to try to take back control on this. So you could ask this question because I'm sure it is going to be great. And I'm sure Nicole was going to give a great answer and then we're moving to retail. All right, go. Oh, no. So I was actually, and I don't, I was actually going to ask a question, you know, tying multi oh. into whatever question it is. into industrial actually. Oh, okay. So um, you're just going to change the course of the show that I had planned. <laughs> we could do it. We'll do industrial next. We'll, we'll do industrial next. We'll just, we'll, we'll let you run. We'll let you run the show for a little bit. It's fine. You know, it's all over. about Dan. It's all about, all Dan. about Dan. This is unbelievable. Hashtag trendsetter. <laughs> I, I am looking. I am looking for a co-host. So you know, this. I guess this is just you just jumping into that thing. I'm Mike, actually, if you, Mike, if you want to have a co-host and you still want to talk, Dan's not your partner. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to like I mean, change I, my shirt, put his face next to my shirt. You know, my face. I have a. I haven't. You know, Nicole, you were talking a lot about looking at development in more wide open areas, and what that continually had in my brain is um, this one industrial client who's currently taking a stronghold in Sussex County in New Jersey and um, is buying up much of uh, a, a town that was always known as a farm town, Newton. Um, this tenant is you know, developing now not only the industrial buildings, but now calling for, you know what, now we need housing for all of 
these workers? Can you build us residential? So, well, my question comes to that is, you know, Trevor, how, how are you seeing the, in the industrial market, how are you seeing, you know, we've, we've commonly heard, I, I was sitting in a, a trend seminar prior to COVID saying, you know, industrial sort of hopping, it was going to New Jersey, but now it's just hopping over New Jersey and going straight to the rest of the country. You know, we have sort of these farmland areas that we want to preserve as farmland areas, but we are still seeing these industrial clients start to break into there. How do you see that melding now with, now you're working from home for that administrative staff, but you have the industrial building there and you need the housing. I think you kind of get the- It's a pro, it's a pro question. So you, you start you started out with this being a multifamily question for Nicole and you yeah I, I lost it <laughs> yeah you're you're out you're I'm gonna throw I'm out my, no my my question was just just to to say you know how are you how are you seeing like the the industrial market sort of Trevor let's talk about the trends that you're seeing in the industrial industry yeah. there we go <laughs> <laughs> we love you Dan we love you Dan <laughs> boom you know you just gotta hit it yeah. But, the the industrial market that the, the industrial market is absolutely on fire. Um, the two biggest deals that I've done in the last eighteen months have been industrial. Um, one was for what's called nutraceutical production, um, rather than pharmaceutical. It's you know vitamins, supplements, nu nutritional things that you would have at your home. Um, and the other one is logistics. Logistics is what's taken over. I mean, any, any, any group that's doing multi-market logistics for the most part is doing well if they're doing their job right. Um, I did uh, 200,000 square feet in California for a logistics group where today, actually, I've got one of my colleagues running my client out for another 150,000 square feet. Um, <clears throat> on a national basis, industrial is great. Um, for New Jersey, um, we actually just came out with our uh, uh, Q3 report and I'll compare office to industrial. Office markets in New Jersey, the vacancy rate on average is gonna be, look, you're gonna be looking at almost every market north of 20% vacancy. Sub sub markets are gonna be 30% north and some are approaching 40%. Conversely, the industrial market, most of the sub markets in New Jersey are at or below, I'd say a 5% mark. The busier markets, you're below 1% vacant. Um, one of the names that you're going to recognize that's really, really taken over is Amazon. The last, uh, I think it was last year, there were 22 buildings. Let's, let's round it up, say 25 buildings that had 2,200,000 square feet or more available, as well as spec production. And Amazon had proposals out on almost every single one of them. You know, they, they, they've completely dominated the market. And then to, to bring it back to retail even, um, in Morris County, there's a big box retailer that closed their doors and Amazon took the retail space for their last mile to, uh, fulfillment. Yep. So you're, you're, we're seeing a lot of the conversion now from, uh, from retail into short-term industrial. There's, uh, I think it's now 10 million square feet of proposed industrial development within the next few years, just in New Jersey. Um, in the last 24 months, We've seen industrial rates go up 30, 40, 50, 100%, depending on the market and the product type. You know, older buildings, you know, how much is it gonna to cost to raise the roof and make that get more cubic footage versus square footage compared to do we just knock the building down and rebuild it? So that the, the industrial market is really, really taken over as far as where the activity is. 
you know, you're seeing sublet space coming up for office space. I've, I've never seen, you know, going through my emails every day, you know, this space for sublet, this space for sublet, this space to tell you. And companies are looking for that going back to the you know, uncertainty, 12, 20 more, 12, 24 months out into the future. Well, hey, if, I, if, I, if my lease is coming up and I don't know what's going on, do I renew my lease now? Do I, if my landlord's not going to allow me to do a, do a short-term extension with ridiculous rates moving forward, maybe it does make more sense to find one of these sublet spaces, whether it's 2,000 square feet or 200,000 square feet of office space that I can take for the next two, three, maybe four years until I know where my business is going. Uh, land, landlords, landlords are in business to make money. Tenants are in business to run a business and make money. We're all doing this to make money. The, unfortunately, altruism doesn't pay the bills. So what can I do to maximize my profitability in a market that is so tumultuous with so many unknowns moving forward, with so many terrible things that have happened over the last you know, six, seven months, whether it's uh, a death of a person, death of a business, death of a concept. I mean, we've seen so much negativity, so much fear. And, it, and it's positive to be able to look out there through, I don't wanna say, you know, you know rose colored glasses or something with a negative trend to say, this is the fact. And the fact is the industrial market is on fire. The industrial market is, is really driving what we're gonna be doing moving forward. And it's, it's a real glimmer of hope and glimmer of success in an overshadowed negative world that we've been living in for, for the last six, seven months. Quick, quick question. Yeah. A lot of sure. industrial spaces need Go ahead, Brent. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like I, I, uh, we, we had a, one of our first ever episodes for the Morning Spotlight podcast version was on the industrial market. So we had um, Chris Murphy, uh, Mitch Kay, and Carly Iacono on here talking about um, the industrial market. And basically it was like a 40-minute, 30-minute, 40-minute episode of just us talking about how awesome industrial in New Jersey was. So that's why I was curious to see how Trevor was going to answer Dan's question because Dan made it seem as though, like, you know, it wasn't uh, doing all that great here in New Jersey. I don't know if that was what you were saying when you were asking No, 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 no. I was just, I was just saying, I, I know at the, in the beginning we were hearing that, like, it was so hot in New Jersey oh. and it was so much of a demand that yeah. people are having to skip over New Jersey because they're running out of space. Oh, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. which you. I, which I know. Because I every every meeting prior to COVID that I would go to, and and there was a and and I was sitting down with somebody. It was uh, oh yeah, we're 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 way past exit eight a. We're way past that. We're way past. We're in the Pine Barrens now. <laughs> you know, it's just keeping going south. And it used to be like oh yeah, there's still some space there. And then you have you know big landlords like Prologis that just own everything. <laughs> yeah. Touch based on Michael, your statement on the industrial, Trevor and Dan, from the development perspective. You know, majority of people in the industrial space have been looking for areas close to, you know, transit, as well as, you know, the ports and all of the other, you know, places that are really attractive. However, on the development perspective, we have seen more people move down south. I have a handful of projects in the Howell area that are industrial projects. I don't know if Trevor, you want to speak to that, but Howell seems to be, you know, picking up on industrial with the land that they have there. And we are seeing a lot of storage um, as well come forward. So storage is an interesting market to speak of. It's a little bit different. I know we didn't touch on it, but we are seeing developers going to storage as well as the industrial pushing more down south. And that and that's kind of going back to Trevor, what, what I was saying before with that that tenant in 
in Sussex County is, you know, as now, okay, you were in a headquarters building for a company that was based in New York City and you're taking whatever, 100,000 square feet in the city and then you have your industrial manufacturing facility in Southern New Jersey, you now have your staff, maybe some of them are in Westchester, whatever, and the rest of them are in New Jersey. You know, what, what I was more saying is you're seeing now these ecosystems where you're putting the, the resident, residential developers, I believe, Nicole, correct me where I'm wrong, but I believe are starting to look at, okay, look, this industrial client is going to be moving into New Jersey, they're going to be taking this much of a stronghold. It's going to create this many new workers in this area. We need to, you know, buy up a piece Every of land. Being for that specific and what exactly Dan's talking about, and we can touch on as developers in, you know, the area of Newton and that industrial space that's going to be expanding and the tenant that's going to be going there, which I'm sure many of us know who that is. Um, a lot of their employees are from out of state and do travel. And there's really no hotel space there. And there's no developers who are looking to build hotel space there. So they're looking for corporate housing. So we actually have a development that um, is under approvals right now in Newton under Kipiva, which I also work and represent um, where we develop our own projects. But we do see corporate housing and it makes sense as a developer when you can partner with a you know company that has the need for housing in the area because there isn't as much residential, you know, apartments to support that or townhomes or condos or whatever it may be. Right. I had to bring it back to multifamily. <laughs> yeah, because you're just all over the map with this episode. It's unbelievable. You're, we're, on, we're on multifamily, then we're going to restaurants, then we're going to retail, but I want to go to retail. This is why I can't be a host. No, we're going no. to the moon after this. There's going to be a train. Yeah. We're not wait, even going to talk wait. about, by the end of this episode, we're not even going to be talking about real estate, so it's just going to be a watch anyway. Wait, so, so I, have, I, have, I, have one, I have one more question. Trevor, I know we were talking about this earlier. Um, you know, you're seeing these big box retailers, Sears, you know, JCPenney, whoever you want to name massive, massive retail warehouse. I'll call them warehouses. They're, they're stores right now, but are you seeing a lot of those sort of spaces be turned into warehouse spaces, like a big JCPenney's, a big Sears? There, there's a lot of discussion for temporarily doing that. You know, a, a retail setup is not necessarily a great warehouse. It's not a great industrial space. Yeah, you know, you're typically looking in a high traffic area. There's, you know, the, the, the burbs or an urban area is going to be right around them. And one of, one of the first, thing that's, first things that's going to occur when, when this is actually, uh, um, there's an industrial building on Centennial Ave in Piscataway. And uh, I had taken a client there to look at it while it was under construction. And the landlord rep said to us, oh, one of the things that, uh, that, that is uh, 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 one of the rules here is you cannot have diesel trucks running before 7 a.m. The, the, the houses in the back, you know, that they had to go into it. And, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be here, you can't have your trucks running early in the morning. And my client said, thanks. We start our runs earlier than that. See you guys later. So that, that becomes one issue. Um, one of the things by me when uh, Toys R Us closed, um, if, you, if you guys have gone to the Rockaway Mall, you know, the, the former Toys R Us space is now a pop-up Halloween store for Party City. So, yeah, so but part, actually, I think Party City might, have, might be doing uh, longer term plans there, but you're seeing pop up Halloween stores and vacant spaces right now. Um, we typically see that this time of the year anyway. 
Yeah. But the, the groups that are doing better are, uh, are, are utilizing the spaces that they can. And a, a lot of them, because of landlords, uh, are hearing, you know, we need to defer our rent. Uh, can, you, can you give us a break? You know, we're, we're going to have to close down. Uh, so if a tenant does close down, the landlord's not getting any rent. You know, some is better than none. So if he's able to do a short-term hold on it and put somebody in there on a short-term for a lesser amount, it, it's, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Are we on retail right now? Yeah. Well, that, this is, Dan, this is what we call a segue. So this is a good segue into retail. So now we will segue into retail um, now that we're talking about it. So uh, let's just talk about retail trends because we were talking about like, you know, uh, Dan had mentioned, you know, some of the stuff going on here in Morristown with some of the restaurants. And, you know, you like, I walk through town all the time because my apartment is here and the Spotlight Studios, which may or may not be also in my apartment is here. Um, so when I go through town, like I'm seeing, I'm just curious when we're talking about big box retailers, but we can go from, you know, JCPenney, Sears, all these, uh, all these guys all the way down to like the just Jersey store here in Morristown. That's like, you know, how is that business staying in business? Cause it's just like this tiny little shop, you know, like they sell like, you know, niche items. They're right on South street. I mean, like how, like, how is she keeping this thing going, but she's still open. So, um, Trevor, can you talk to about the trends a little bit in, in retail? So re retail again, as as a whole, we all we all know, uh, B and M stores, well, B and M brick and mortar stores are they're they're taking a beating. You know, for overall, you know, there there are some outliers out there, but overall, they've been taking a beating. Um, I brought one of my uh, directors of retail with me on a meeting um, to to meet with a prospective client about selling his business because it's been doing well. And he wants to use his last few years of success as a basis to drive his asking price higher. And he, he said something that was really, really interesting and thought provoking with the urban flight that, uh, that we're seeing. You know, New York has never seen so many people moving out and going into the New Jersey burbs. And he goes, you know, I've, I've never seen and that this is the, the owner of the business talking. He goes, I've never seen this many New York plates this far west in New Jersey. And he goes, yeah. and I love it. And I said, well, what about it do you love? He goes, every single one of those new plates that I see is a new customer. Everybody around here that's been here for more than a few months starts to develop habits and patterns. And if you're going to go out for takeout, if you're, you're going to go to, to restaurant A, if you want to do sit down inside, you're going to go to restaurant B. If you want to do sit down outside, you're going to go to restaurant C. Um, if you're going to go to buy... You know, ABC goods at whatever store, you, know, you, you develop those routes. And for him, he's like, if I can get those people to get their new habits into my business, that's going to be a new long-term customer for me. Yeah. So the retailers that are looking forward and are looking to, to drive new business as it comes out here, because the population is growing and you know, we're running out of land. The further east you go, the tighter the population gets. The further west you go, the more spread out we are. So the, the, these people that are coming from the urban areas into the suburbs, you know, they're starting to look further west. And that, that western drive is, is really starting to make people think about what their future retail business is going to be. Right. And Mike, a question that I would have for you on, in speaking towards retail, obviously you live in... Huh? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Obviously you live in Morristown. Yeah. Um, you know, Morristown, I think, is such a unique area. And I say that because you have Hoboken, you have Jersey City, where it's, you know, okay, we have our own little metropolis, but we go to New York City. Or New York City comes to us. 
Yeah. Um, you have this, you have Morristown, which is, you know, 35 miles away from the city. And yet I think, you know, definitely COVID took a huge toll on it and it went down and, and, and everything along those lines. But now as we head into the fall season, people, I agree exactly what you said, Trevor, a lot more New York plates are out this way. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, everybody hears of this town, Morristown. I'm going to, you know, oh, I heard there's good restaurants here. I heard it's nice. So are you seeing Morristown picking up now? I mean, just out your window even? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's not like it was when stuff wasn't closed down. I mean, like you're not seeing like Iron Bar and Revolution and all these places packed with college kids like on a Friday, Saturday night, obviously. But um, like the one thing that I think is awesome to see and like we have been, you know, graced with some fantastic weather over the last you know, especially on the weekends when, you know, outdoor dining has been so uh, prevalent. And what was cool was like, they started uh, taking up some of the parking spaces in the streets at some of these restaurants to give the restaurants more outdoor dining space. Um, So when you go through town, like on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even like a Sunday, you'll see these restaurants and like every outdoor table is full. Like you need to make a reservation in advance. Um, even like some of the places that are doing the indoor dining, like I did indoor dining at a place right down the street from my apartment, uh, at town. And, uh, that was great. I mean, like they have all the tables spread out. It's, it's perfect. You know, they're, they're getting it done with what they have. Um, so like, I think like granted there have been casualties of this, right? Like the pancake house closed down RIP love that place. Um, there's other places that just haven't been able to, you know, make it through, uh, just because they like, you know, Morristown Pancake House just didn't have the outdoor area to do outdoor dining and they weren't going to do takeout because normally like I mean, how often are you do in takeout breakfast, like a full meal breakfast, if you do like a bagel, you do whatever. But like if, I, if I'm going to breakfast, I'm going to sit down and have it. Um, so, I mean, I, there have been issues for certain places, obviously, but I do see Morristown as a place that's like, you know, because like you, I, I do agree with you, like there's not like you're not going to drive necessarily like all the time from Morristown to Hoboken to go out to eat or to New York city to go out to eat or to wherever, fill in the blank, Red Bank, any of these places. Like you live here, you live in the area, you live in Morris County, Morristown's your spot. And I think that that's helped it kind of, you know, at least kind of keep itself going pretty well. Um, you know, over the last, however long this has gone on since they started doing outdoor dining, you know, five, six, seven months. Um, you know, so I, I think that Morristown has, at least from my perspective, like, I don't know, I don't talk to these business owners all the time. So I, it seems like places are doing as good as they possibly can be given the circumstances. Yeah. And, I, and I'm wondering if that's going to extend to a lot of these other, you know, where a lot of these mom and pop shops are and sort of smaller CBD central business districts. And if they're going to start to, you know, kind of expand from that, because again, you know, if I live in where I live and I want to try 30 miles to Hoboken, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to drive 10 minutes to a local area. So yeah. I'm just curious to see how that's going to play out with retail. Is Yeah. Well, the one, the one reason why I, I wanted to live in Morristown was because it had all the stuff that I would want from, you know, an area. Right. So it's like, it has the restaurants, it has the bars, it has the retail stuff. It has the green, it's got the movie theater. It's got the, uh, the mail pack, you know, it's got all these places that, that gives you stuff to do, but it's not like a Hoboken or a Jersey city or a Manhattan where it's like all packed in on top of each other. It's a lot of stuff to do, but it's still spread out. So I think like in this type of situation where you have, you know, people that are, you know, some people are concerned about being too close to somebody, but all of a sudden you go downtown to a restaurant in Morristown and you know, your table is definitely far enough away from the next table. 
you know. I think um, from the construction standpoint, we are seeing, you know, QSRs being consistent. So on the construction, we're still building Popeyes, Wendy's, Wawa's, those are still going up with no problem. Um, we're not going to slow down in that area at all. We are seeing in restaurant space, obviously, you know, less interior spit outs and businesses for our clients. But I think that that's, this is when, you know, the people in the industry, specifically the hospitality restaurant industry, you're going to have to start getting creative yeah. on how you're going to make things work and working with architects. And, you know, I think for the next generation in general, moving forward with real estate, and I talk about this all the time, we have a huge age gap in this industry. We have people who have been in the industry for a very long time and then individuals who are coming into this industry and then there's a big gap. But what we need to look at is the consumer, right? So when, as a person going into retail, what are you looking for? So what I saw in the city happening a lot and I loved it, I've gone to a lot of them are these pop-up experiential, you know, experiences that you can go to and they're considered retail, right? Um, and they need to start doing it more in Jersey, but basically, you know, a candy pop-up where, you know, they rent out a space and their every single room would be a different experience and it's very Instagrammable and you can take pictures and it's, you know, 35 to $50 a person to get in and, you know, you're having a bunch of different people and they're still doing it with COVID, just obviously social distance and, just, you know, one group at a time, but it's figuring out how to do retail in a more creative way. Um, and also, you know, if we talk about retail and stores specifically, we can use American Dream as a perfect example, right? Everyone knows American Dream. Um, American Dream just recently, it just came out, I read it on CoStar, it went from pre-COVID, 55% entertainment and 45% retail to 70% entertainment and now 30% retail because a lot of those retailers went out of business because of COVID. Not only that, but now Disney is doing a study at American Dream to see if they can open, you know, an entertainment center there. You have Nickelodeon, you have Angry Birds, you know, indoor mini golfing, you know, all of these different experiential things that really the only places you can go is Six Flags or Hershey Park or but there's nothing really near the urban areas where you can do these experiential things. I live right by MetLife and I just saw recently over the weekend, they had like a interactive dinosaur drive-through experience. So growing up as a kid, I remember doing a drive-through at PNC for the lights for Christmas and you'd see the lights was kind of like that, but they had 3D, you know, 12 foot different dinosaurs that you were driving through and you paid per car and you know, it's an experiential thing. So, you know, investors retailers have to start really getting creative with the way that they're going to get you know the consumers in restaurants are going to have to get creative on adding outdoor space that has some sort of can change for the summer and can change for the winter based on covid so it's really going to be getting creative and like you know michael you said you live in morristown um i live in an urban area as well as developers where you're seeing a lot of developers start to have more mixed-use apartment buildings with restaurant space and bars trying to get liquor licenses when they go into suburban communities that's going to be a hot spot not only for you know the tenants in their building but for the community to come to as well right so everyone will be able to have that interactive space in the building yep 
All right. So we are going to move this into our closing segment now. So it's called Under the Spotlight. We're going to put each of you under the spotlight. We did discuss this before we got on. So hopefully you have thought about something we've talked about a ton so far. Um, and we could probably just keep going on some of these things. But, you know, we got to. With this cast of characters, uh, seriously. We'll, we'll be here till 6 p.m. I know. We got to stick to a schedule here because, we'll you know. Right. Um, so uh, under the spotlight, we're going to give each of you a chance to give your final thought. So they, we've talked about so much stuff, like I said, um, people that have actually made it to the end of this episode um, with Dan, Nicole, Brent, and Trevor. What is one thing that you want them to walk away from this episode with? It could be a prediction. It could be something that, you know, wh- wh- I don't care what it is. Your last point, the last thing that you're going to say, Dan, last thing you're going to say. So actually, Brent, we're going to start with you because we haven't heard from you in a while. Um, so we're going to put you under the spotlight first. And you've already been under the spotlight before. So you kind of get what we're looking for. So show us, show us what you got. Okay, so we are talking about a lot of different scenarios today. Um, I'm, what came to mind to me was adaptability. These small businesses to these larger corporations, they're going to have to be able to adapt. They're going to have to be flexible. They have to be open-minded. Um, if they need help in that process at all, I know anybody on this panel can help them out. Reach out to us if you need help planning your space, looking for new space. We're always here to help you um, in this uncertain time. We're, we don't have a conclusion. We don't have an ending to the story that's going on right now. But all of us here are for you and here to help you. Great one. Dan, you're up next. I'm going to keep it nice and short and sweet. Thank Maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the, the whole overarching of my points were going to what Nicole said. Creativity is going to be paramount in innovation. And um, paramount as well as, you know, just holistic approaches you know when you look at what you're doing make sure that you have a great team beside you you know trevor with with newmark brent with be and and nicole with captiva you know having and surrounding yourself at the beginning of whatever decision you're going to make and having that team to throw ideas off of at the end of the day is going to have a paramount paramount um you know, sort of expedited answer <laughs> to we solve uh, problems, baby. Yeah, we solve problems. So right. that's 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 my uh, my thing. Involve like as many people as you can to get as many ideas. As I like this. So far, this is nice and warm and fuzzy, and you guys are all you know, you know, giving each other props. I like that. So Nicole, you're have up a friends next. theme song next. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nicole, you're up next. What do you got? I think one. I want to say one. Thank you for having me. Two. I hope everyone that's watching this is safe and healthy with the current pandemic and, you know, unfortunate situation we're facing because it is a difficult time for many. We're all lucky to be employed right now and hopefully all healthy. And then the last thing I would say in such space, which Dan stole it from me, was being creative is going to be key and outward thinking, um, working with individuals, again, who are willing to step outside of their comfort zone, challenge themselves, and seek consistent and constant growth. I mean, if you are in any area of real estate, you now more than ever is the time to start thinking outside of the box and get out of that inbox in your six foot um, little you know, social distance area of what you're used to seeing and start thinking towards the future. So I would say start surrounding yourself with individuals who are willing to challenge you in that way 
and you know let's get some projects done absolutely trevor let's put a bow on this thing wrap us up all right and it's funny because we knew that this the spotlight question was coming but none of us talked about it and what my thought was is actually tying the, the other three together and brent actually used the word that i wanted to use which is adaptability and something that I had heard some time ago is the survival of the fittest is not really about who's the fittest and who's the strongest, but it's who's the most adaptable. So stay strong, be creative. You know, this is not going to last forever. Adapt the West the best way that you can. All of our business models have had to change because of it. And those that can adapt the best are going to come out of this the strongest. Cheers. So, cheers. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. Well, that, man. Right. So, all right, that's going to wrap up our show. For everybody listening, I want to thank uh, Dan, Nicole, Brent, and Trevor for coming on with us today. Uh, if, for everybody listening, if you want to be a guest on the Morning Spotlight, if you want to hear us talk about a specific topic, make sure to email us at themorningspotlight at gmail.com or go to our website, themorningspotlight.com. Uh, fill out the form. I'll get back to you as soon as I, I can. Uh, so, Dan, Nicole, Brent, Trevor, thank you again for doing this with us today. Thank Thanks. you for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.